Hello and welcome to episode two of Encore, a part of the GIA podcast. This episode is brought to you by GIA Soundboard. From news and resources to planning suggestions and professional development, Soundboard is the heart of the GIA community and is committed to bringing you the resources you need as a musician and a music minister. Go to soundboard.giamusic.com and check it out for yourself. For our second episode, we have a very special guest, and I'm excited to welcome on Latin Grammy-nominated composer Tony Alonso. Tony, it's good to talk with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. How are things with you? Okay, Tony. We got two Tonys. If we had a third, we'd have a band from the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> too, too much Tony. That's what we could call this episode, for sure. <laughs> Tony. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll jump right into it here. So... Growing up in uh, Austin, Minnesota, I guess, when and how did you begin to take an interest in music? Yeah, it kind of started organically. I just used to sing a lot around the house like kids do, but probably mm-hmm. more than most and maybe, I don't know, more a little better than most maybe. <laughs> my, my aunt actually, uh, my mom's sister, heard me. She like observed me singing all the time and she's like, wow, you have a really nice voice. And I was like, thanks, you know, but I'm like, first grade second grade whatever um and then she asked my mom if she would let me sing in her wedding like as a soloist oh wow yeah my mom said you don't want a third grader singing at your wedding that's a terrible idea (laughs) he's never (laughs) sung in front of people in his whole life and at your wedding he's just gonna sing a song and and she said my aunt said well why don't i just give you the sheet music of the song that i hear him singing and maybe you can take it to a local music teacher and he can teach it. She can teach it to him mm-hmm. and we'll see. And if it doesn't work out, fine. But like, let's give it a try. And so I did. I took it to my local music teacher, uh, One Hand, One Heart from West Side Story. I, in fact, I still have that very sheet music. And uh, she taught it to me and I was super excited to do it. And so I did it. And I remember after that wedding, um, driving to the reception with my parents, I said, do you think more people are going to ask me to sing at their weddings? And my mom said, probably not. You're in third grade. <laughs> so that was so, kind of the first, you know, thing. So that wedding was the first time you kind of got up in front of people and sang. That's right. That's wow. right. Wow. That had to be nerve wracking. That would for sure make my palms sweat, you know? I was in third grade. So it was like, what, nine? I was like nine. That's incredible. A couple of years ago, you uh, completed your PhD in religion from Emory University. Can you just tell us a little bit about that process, I guess, uh, from the beginning going into it and then up until you uh, defending your dissertation? Yeah, I saw a quote once that said, if you want to see God laugh, make plans. And I feel like that's pretty much described my whole vocational journey. I never intended to go on for advanced study. I never saw myself as a particularly studious person. I mean, I did well in school, but I didn't like love school like some people do. Um, so my undergraduate degrees in music from Northwestern, uh, right by y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Wildcats. Exactly. Go cats. And then uh, I moved to LA um, where I was working at Loyola Marymount University. I'm actually mm-hmm. in a job that my friend and colleague Chris De Silva has now. And while I was there, I decided to get a master's in theology, kind of for fun, or just to develop my own, you know, liturgical music, theological knowledge at the time. But I didn't really do it because I like wanted to be a, you know, go on for further study. But then I really, you know, it was like a gateway drug to me to more school. Um, Mm -hmm. And I got really interested in a lot of the theological topics. And so I looked around for programs, especially at the time I was very much interested in liturgical theology. 
And there aren't a lot of places to do that. And I looked at a lot of the usual suspects, great schools, but Emory kind of stood out for me as a distinctive because it was the opportunity to study in an ecumenical context with some really interesting thinkers that were asking me questions I had not really thought about before. And I had been surrounded kind of in a Catholic environment my whole life. Um, so it really kind of was a, an interesting choice for me. The real draw was the opportunity to work with a particular professor, Don Saliers, who's a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole community is just an incredible place to, to pursue theological study. And I'm happy to be now on the faculty there. Right. Yes. That was kind of my next question. Uh, you know, you loved it so much you stayed, right? So you're currently serving as the inaugural director of Catholic studies at the Candler, Candler School of Theology at Emory. So uh, can you, you know, speak a little bit about what's that taken to get the program off the ground and kind of your vision for the program developing in the future? Absolutely. And let me also say we have two GIA artists at Candler School of Theology. Um, well, I know Jimmy Abington, of course. Jimmy, oh, you're going to think of Chris because, of course, he's a student there. Right, Chris is as well. Yes, you mentioned yeah, that during uh, during our episode. Yes, that's right. Associated. Yeah, um, but Jimmy's on the faculty with me. Yeah. So anyway, um, at the Archdiocese of Atlanta is interesting because, unlike a lot of parts of the country where Catholicism is kind of declining numerically in terms of participation, we're right. growing. we're growing in huge numbers. It's really diverse. Um, and we do not have a Catholic university. I think we're the largest Catholic uh, archdiocese in the country without a Catholic university. Wow. Yeah. And so the leadership at Candler, um, realizing that we would have occasional Catholics come through Candler, even though um, it's historically a Methodist school, it's very ecumenical. Mm -hmm. Catholics. But uh, the leadership at Candler said, hey, maybe we could really kind of like develop this and respond to this growing Catholic presence in Atlanta and in the Southeast more broadly. And so I was given this incredible opportunity to nurture and develop this program. And really, I think that the two, hall, two of the hallmarks of it are the opportunity to study in an ecumenical context. Um, I think we learn a lot about our own traditions when we're in conversation across difference, not to agree on everything, but just right. to, to learn from each other. Um, I, I, I always say that being at Candler has made me a better Catholic uh, in the best sense of that, not in an exclusive way, but it's helped me clarify my own commitments. And then the other, you know, incredible thing is just this diverse context in which to do it. You know, 50% yeah. Latino here in, in the Archdiocese of Atlanta, we have a robust uh, Black Catholic population. So it's, it's an interesting place to be and study Catholicism. Yeah, absolutely. You were recently nominated for a Latin Grammy in the category of Best Christian Album for your most recent collection with us at GIA, Caminemos con Jesus. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what it meant to you to receive, you know, the Latin Grammy nomination, I guess, beginning with when you first got the official word that it was going to be nominated? Yeah, actually, I got the first official word right on the street below my house here. I was going for a walk, um, as I often do during these COVID times. Right. In the morning, and um, Juan Delgado, the producer of the album, called me, and I was actually on the other line with my parents talking to them. And. And I said, I got to take this call. And so I switched over to Juan and he was, his wife was screaming in the background and he was like, man, did you hear, did you hear? And I'm like, hear what? He's like, we're nominated, we're nominated. And I just, I was like standing out here on the road at like, you know, 9 a.m. And I just screamed, <laughs> all people going to work are like, who is this crazy person? Because <laughs> um, it just was not on the radar for me personally of something that was 
you know, ever really a goal of the project. And so for it to receive this um, kind of recognition from the, the Latino community, just, it, I can't think of like a bigger honor, honestly, musically in my life than that recognition. It's just truly wonderful and amazing. Right. And uh, collection Caminemos con Jesus uh, was kind of born out of, you know, a love for the music of your father's homeland. So I'm sure um, just there had to be a special connection kind of with your father, um, him being just extremely proud of that as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my grandfather used to always give me music to listen to Cuban music when I was a kid, even though I grew up in, in Minnesota, we would often go to Miami once or twice a year. And he would just give me all this Cuban music. And I just loved it. But my entire like life as a composer, I never really thought to to touch it really. <laughs> you know, I, it, it felt like just mystical to me in a way that I was like, I can't, I can't write that kind of music. Yeah. Um, and a few things I think started to unlock uh, the possibility of me me doing it. One was um, the death of both of my Cuban grandparents. You start to kind of feel this, you know, I think a lot of people feel that when grandparents start to pass away, like, oh my gosh, there's this whole part of my life that I kind of took for granted, like this heritage that's no longer there for me to, to go to. So I need to like keep right. it alive. And so we like, you know, we start making recipes, <laughs> the, all the things that we do to connect with those we've loved and lost. So musically, that was one trigger for me. Um, and then the other is, you know, in a lot of my theological work, I started to read a lot of Latino theology and theologians, both that I'm reading and in com communication with saying like, you should name and claim your heritage and not be afraid to embrace it. Um, and then the third thing was my dad and I finally took a trip to Cuba the first time in my life. And the first time he had been there since he was six when they left mm -hmm. basically in the middle of the night. And so those three things really started to rattle around in me and say, I, I've got to do this thing. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. When did, uh, when did you guys take that trip to Cuba? It's about three years ago, I want to say. Okay. okay. Very cool. So I know you, that you, uh, you spent some time down in Miami uh, working on this collection with Juan Delgado, uh, Peter Kolar, of course, with, with, with GIA and, uh, uh, you know, an extremely talented sporting cast of Cuban musicians. So you just talk a little bit about that and, uh, being down in Miami and working on that? Yeah, and to be in Miami, I mean, it's so funny when we started to think about where to record it, it's kind of hilarious that we were thinking of anywhere other than Miami. Um, but ending up there was truly providential. I mean, we, Juan's studio is like about a mile from the house that I was born in. Oh, look <laughs> it was at like that. Being like back, it was like a, you know, a, I don't know, a, what do you call a reunion tour or yeah. something. Homecoming, yeah, for yeah, sure. Homecoming, that's what I'm looking for. Um, so to be like just in that air was powerful. Um, and, and the opportunity to work with Juan, who's an incredible um, producer, uh, composer, musician. In fact, he won the Latin Grammy for Best Christian Album a couple of years ago. Right. He's been deeply involved in the, the Latin Grammys for years and believes deeply in its mission um, to honor the, the best of Latin music. Um, so the opportunity to work with him was incredible. And then he put us in contact with, as you said, these Cuban musicians, especially um, uh, a bass player and arranger uh, named Yorhis Corizelaya, um, which is a really hard name to say in any language. <laughs> Yorhis, I want to ask you to say it, Tony. But um, <laughs> he was an incredible uh, person to work with. And he actually is a producer for some of my favorite Cuban musicians like Albita Rodriguez and others. So the opportunity to work with these people was like, God, it really was like living inside of a dream. Yeah. Excellent. 
So another one of your newer and uh, popular collections from GIA, Revival, there's of course Revival and Revival 2, provides accessible arrangements of classic hymns uh, to be used for contemporary ensemble. How did this idea first come about and why do you think it has been such a welcome addition to church repertoire? So I used to, you know, obviously work in churches and whenever it come to like a so-called traditional hymn, um, I would find myself opening up the hymnal and being like, this is for an organist. This is not for a pianist. This is not for a guitarist. And so if I had guitarists and other instruments, I would inevitably have to like cross out stuff, <laughs> like yeah. re rearrange on the fly that morning. And so I got tired of doing this and I was like, God, someone should really like do just simple arrangements for contemporary ensembles of these. So they don't need to do this reworking that I know many of my colleagues are doing. And then, you know, someone said, well, that person, you know, could be you. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, that's, I guess that's a good point. So, yeah. so I was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So it was kind of a fun. I mean, it was almost like, um, unlike, you know, composing, which takes so much, um, you know, energy at, on the outset, this was like more fun. I mean, it was like taking these hymns I knew my whole life and basically writing down how I often played them anyway. And in some cases, reimagining, uh, you know, new ways of doing them. Um, but yeah, so I think it just responded to a very practical, pragmatic need that people have that, you know, emerges out of my own work. Right, right. It's definitely something that, you know, the church, there was kind of, you know, a void, if you will, that that was filled by that. One of the things that I, the first thing I remember anytime Revival was brought up was uh, MPM 2019, when you guys did the Beer and Hymns event in Raleigh. I mean, it was really, for those of you that, the listeners that were there, uh, you know what I'm talking about, but it was, you know, a packed bar. You guys had a full band, even a, a fiddle. I mean, it was it was a really, really neat event, and it just shows you uh, the versatility of a collection like Revival as well. So um, Revival and Caminemos con Jesus are, of course, available at www.gimusic.com. All right, so we'll switch tunes a little bit, uh, kind of with some more casual questions. So who are some non-sacred mainstream music artists, I guess kind of top 100-ish uh, type artists that you enjoy listening to in your free time? Yeah, I mean, I have no idea who's in the top 100 these days. <laughs> right, me neither. <laughs> Good, but I, I know I know the spirit of your question. So obviously, you know, as, as I indicated earlier, like listening to Cuban music has been one of the, the biggest sources of, of just joy for me over the years. It's what I probably listen to the most of anything in the quote-unquote non-sacred world, although I see a lot of this music as being sacred in its own way. Um, and then the other huge influence on me, like in terms of singing songwriter is uh, James Taylor mm -hmm. from a very young age. I've, I've always loved his craft. I've always loved the way that he's kind of like grown as an artist over the years. And I love the production of his recordings. Um, and then, uh, you know, another person I really like who hasn't done a lot lately is Bobby McFerrin, you know, who's well known for <laughs> Don't Worry, Be Happy, but yeah, incredible, um, you know, eclectic set of music that he's put out over the years of like choral music and like improvisatory stuff that just kind of opens up my imagination in a lot of ways. He did a collection of spirituals several years ago. And so he's just eclectic and uh, has been a big influence on me in a more kind of subtle way. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So your education has taken you, uh, your residence to different parts of, of the United States. So of all the places that you lived for parts of your life. So we'll go Minnesota, Los Angeles, Atlanta, uh, Evanston, which of course is right outside of Chicago, and Miami. 
What has been your favorite and why? I'm sure all of them, you know, certainly have their pros and cons, but if you could pick one, let's hear yeah. it. That that's that's really tricky, you know. Yeah. And especially because like when I think of these places, I don't just think of like the climate or I think of the people in them. And you know, like you you nurture relationships in all of these places. And so when you think of them, you think, oh, how do I pick a favorite of these things? Um, but I will say I I really loved uh, the diversity of Los Angeles um, as a place. Um, it, it, you know, there's diversity in Chicago and there's diversity in Atlanta, but there's something about the diversity of LA that just pervades everywhere. Uh, you know, it's just it's just woven into the whole thing. Right. Especially the the Latino presence in in LA is is really vibrant. Um. So those things, and 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 of course the food. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's one of the best, it's become one of the best foodie cities in the country and not just like, as my dad would say, foo-foo food, but also just like, you know, delightful, hearty, you know, ethnic cuisines from all over the world. Um, so I, I love that about LA. For sure. And then those breakfast tacos that Chris was talking about too. I'm you know, still... <laughs> I've had one or 12 of those <laughs> with, with Chris and sometimes without Chris, if he's better. <laughs> For sure. So uh, obviously things are a little different now with um, the times that we're in with COVID and everything. But uh, what are some of the, your hobbies? How do you like to spend, you know, the little free time that you have? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny the way that before I, you know, took on this work as getting my PhD and, um, you know, being a professor at Emory, I was a parish musician. So, you know, I was making music all the time and then also composing and making music all the time in a different way, like at workshops and concerts and conferences. Now, because my nine to five, if you will, although it feels like all the time, but we'll just call (laughs) it nine to five for now, is not musical really. I mean, certainly I talk about music occasionally, but I don't make music as often in my daily life. So Mm -hmm. music has become actually more of a hobby for me Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost become something that I, I, I turn to as less of a grind than I used to, which has been surprising. You know, like when I went on for PhD, a lot of people, including Alec, uh, you know, your boss over there at GA said, so are you going to still write music when you, when you go and get your PhD? I said, I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll see. Well, as it turned out, like the more I got, you know, into writing and reading and the really intensity of that, the more I found myself at the piano composing is like almost like a release of all of that. So music has really shifted, even though it's still part of my professional life and vocation, it's really shifted to being one of like the best hobbies that I have. Some people do like crossword puzzles or something. I'm like, oh, I'll go write a song. It's like, it, to me, it's like a puzzle that like, it, it excites me. It's interesting to me. Right. And that's a very, you know, constructive hobby as well. Absolutely. You know, that's exactly. excellent. The last year or so has been a perfect time for uh, binge watching TV shows and stuff like that. So I'm sure people are curious, what are some... Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime shows that Tony Alonso likes to binge. <laughs> yes, I have definitely been a binger. And that, that should actually go with your previous question that I, I love to binge watch a TV show, whether it's, you know, a, a weird documentary series or any number of things. But I would say the, the two that I've been watching that I did watch, I watched the entire series of The Americans. I don't know if uh-huh. you know that. Yeah, yeah, right. That's with uh, the spies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. The Russian spies. Um, 
So, and I had started that years ago and I just, I didn't get into it at first, but you know, COVID. So it's like, oh, maybe I'll revisit this thing. And uh, I love that show. Boy, is it well made. It's, it's really, really interesting and intense. And then the other one um, that I've been watching more recently binging is Homeland. Uh huh. Sorry, it's not on Amazon Prime or Hulu, I don't think. <laughs> but, uh, but a great show. So I kind of like those riveting edge of your seat thriller kind of spy things. Yeah, for sure. But bonus question on that. I know this is kind of hard to pinpoint one, but what's your favorite TV show of all time? Oh boy, Tony, that's that's a hard one. For a long time, I would have said The West Wing, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't really watched that in a while. And then, like showing my age, I used to love Seinfeld. Oh man, Seinfeld's <laughs> up there for me for sure. It's so I funny. Does it hold up? Oh, absolutely. No, it does. I, it, you know, I used to watch it with my parents growing up, but a few years ago, I, from start to finish, you know, binge the whole thing. And I mean, just by myself laughing hysterically, you know, and I've been trying my best to get my wife to watch it and she'll laugh here and there, but she like, she has a hard time focusing on shows that are old, you know, like some for whatever reason, but no, it is, it is still holds up. It is great. What about uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Have you ever seen that? Yes, I've uh, I've a couple seasons into it. I something that I you know it's kind of it's good because it's one of those shows you kind of go back to every now and then you know like the lighthearted you know comedy show. But I would say if I had to pick my two favorite of all time, and this is tough, but I would probably go um, Breaking Bad one A and Sopranos one B. Whoa! And I've never seen any of those. Oh man. So I'll put it, I'll put, jot it down. God knows we all have like every streaming service now, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And there'll be another one, a new one announced tomorrow, I'm sure. <laughs> From GIA Publications at GIAPublications.com. <laughs> there, there you go. Absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go with the last question here to kind of wrap us up. Uh, so, you know, what's next for, for Tony Alonso? So musically, um, I actually just signed off on the master of Revival 3. Okay, very cool. Yesterday, actually. Um, and that is actually going to be uh, all Christmas music, all Christmas carols. So kind of rearrangements of Christmas carols in the same style as the other two editions. We recorded it, you know, several months ago. And uh, so it's been weird to kind of like be listening to Christmas music right now. <laughs> I said, I think I'm the only person in the world listening to Christmas songs. Um, so that's that's coming out. We've got a ton of requests for that ever since Revival uh, emerged. Like, do this for Christmas songs. So, okay, so we finally did it. Um, and it was kind of a fun thing to do, actually, during this COVID time. And then the other thing that I'm working on that I hope to record this summer and release um, probably maybe like a year from now is a collection of bilingual music for the Triduum, um, like a comprehensive with everything all yeah. of the, for the three days there have been you know collections that have like here's 12 songs for the triduum bilingual but nothing comprehensive and there's this an increasing need for that and it's a ton of work <laughs> it's a ton of work so uh, to have a partner like peter kolar as, as an editor at gia has been super helpful for me absolutely um, just keeps his eyes on, on so many details so like he's just such a gem so we're working closely on that project yeah, so that's that's what's coming oh. next for me. And then other than that, I got you know a lot of research and teaching and service to do at my institution. Next year, I'll actually be on a pre-tenure leave year, which means I have a whole year 
um, free of teaching and service responsibilities so I can just write and research. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm somewhat terrified to enter a year without structure after all of this weirdness. I'm also very you know, lucky and excited to, to begin that year. Absolutely. That's great. And that's something for uh, our listeners to keep an eye on for uh, down the road. All right. Well, that's good. That'll, that'll kind of wrap us up. Cool. This is great. I'm glad you're doing this. No, yeah. Thank you. And thanks again for, you know, jumping on. I, you know, appreciate it. My pleasure. And congratulations again. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Well, you have a good rest of the day and I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Uh, All right. Take care, buddy. Bye. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Tony Alonzo. For a limited time, all Encore listeners can receive 10% off Tony's Latin Grammy-nominated album Caminemos con Jesus by using the code ENCORE10 at checkout. Again, that's E-N-C-O-R-E, all capital letters, and then the number 10. Discount will be good for the Octavo Music Collection, the Spiral Music Collection, the Guitar Slash Lead Seed Edition, and of course, the Recording. Go to our website and order now. The discount will only be good through March 8th. We're going to play a quick one-minute clip of Que Alegria Cuando Me Dijeron, which is the first track on the Caminemos Con Jesus recording. Thank you for listening to episode two of Encore. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a surprise guest. Stay tuned to GIA social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for updates. Until next time, take care, everyone.